Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So last month, it was chunks of Europe, uh, particularly Germany and uh, Austria, as I recall, that were just being wiped out by f- massive flooding, just, just shocking, historic flooding. Today, it is New York and New Jersey and the Northeast. Down in Louisiana, you sort of expect hurricanes from time to time, but what is happening in the Northeast is close to unprecedented. Greg Palace is going to drop by. What actually is causing this power outage in Louisiana? It's not what you think. And we're going to do a deep dive into the whole Roe v. Wade thing. And, and I've got a crazy alert for you about the Dukes of Hazard. We'll get to that. Uh, extreme weather is very much on the rise. I wanted to check in with uh, Dr. Ben Strauss. He is the CEO and chief scientist at Climate Central, climatecentral.org. His Twitter handle is uh, either at Climate Central or at Ben underscore Strauss, S-T-R-A-U-S-S. Dr. Strauss, welcome back to the program. Tell me about the, this, you know, what, how rapidly is this happening? How, how, what can we expect to be happening over the next five or 10 or 15 years as a consequence of what we're seeing right now? Yeah, well, first of all, Tom, thanks so much for having me back. Sure. Um, pleasure to be here. And yeah, this was one hell of a summer. And I have to say, last summer was too. It's hard to remember. We had a pandemic going on. We still do. But last summer was a terrible climate summer too. So, you know, we're we're just we're just a, a little bit more than one degree Celsius into our warming. We had um, the IPCC, this international group of scientists, uh, advising that one and a half degrees Celsius is maybe the the safer limit we could aim for, and it's already almost out of reach in terms of where we're going to get. But, you know, look at the world that we have here at one degree Celsius. Uh, it's, it's really quite something. And one of the themes that comes up in a lot of climate research, um, some of my own, uh, some of the work we do at Climate Central, but really broadly in the science community, is that changes that sound really small on average, like one degree, can translate into a totally different world in terms of the extremes. And it's the extremes like the flooding from Ida, and frankly, the flooding was at last week in Tennessee, Mm -hmm. and there was flooding in China, and the fires in California. All of these extremes, right, small change in the average can lead to a really big increase in your risk of the extremes. So we are in a new world. We're seeing massive wildfires in California. Uh, the, the, the giant one in Oregon is just now uh, basically under control. Um, we are at least, I believe, five years into a drought here. I, I'm, I'm based in Portland, Oregon. Um, last year for a couple of weeks, we couldn't breathe because of the, because of the smoke. Um, uh, I'm noticing we had 116 degrees for three days here uh, a month and a half ago, yes, and, that, and I've got that, trees. That, that was one degree. <laughs> Go ahead. That was one degree less than the all-time record in Las Vegas. Right, and, I mean that, and that just that just doesn't belong in Portland. That's right, and we've got trees uh, in our neighborhood that are clearly in shock. I mean, they're they're, they're, they're starting the week after that happened, which was back in June. Uh, their leaves are curling up, and they're they're dying. These trees are dying, and we've got you know. Yeah. And, and, and 
I'm wondering how long is it going to be before our foliage, before our plant base here in the Pacific Northwest begins to resemble that of South and Central California, uh, or even you know the high desert of, of Nevada? How long is it going to be before the East Coast is so regularly and efficiently inundated with floods that large parts become an uninhabitable? Um, you know, it seems to me like, you know, I, I've been on this planet 70 years. So, you know, it's a, I don't remember any of this happening yeah. the first 40 or 45, no. 50 years of my life. The last 20 years, no. it's been a, like a freight train. And I'm just wondering what the best science is suggesting this world is going to look like in 10, or, in 10 or 15 or 20 years. What are you seeing? What are the studies yeah. showing? Well, you know, it, it's not it's not pretty. And, you know, I, I'll tell you that getting getting the timing down to a five year, a 10 year increment, that's pretty tough. It's easier to kind of say what the destination is. Mm -hmm. Like, let me give you a, a metaphor um, or an analogy. Like if I dumped a truck sized block of ice, you know, outside on the street right now, I'm, I'm in New Jersey and it's July. You, you don't need a degree to say that it's going to melt, right. right? It's all going to melt. Much harder to say, you know, exactly how many when. Yeah. ounces mount, melt per minute and exactly when does it finish. But, right. you know, your question about the trees, for instance, in the Pacific Northwest is a really important one because, um, I mean, I, I've, I've talked to um, some leading forest scientists who think that California it's equilibrium state, there aren't going to be trees. It's going to be a grassland and a shrubland, right, for the right. most part. And I used to think of the Pacific Northwest, west of the Cascades, as being a, one of the better refuges from climate change. Obviously, it's not. Well, we used and to think that think we were of, a, temperate, a temperate rainforest. Yeah, well, exactly. But think of how much fuel there is west of the Cascades, where it's wetter. Oh, and yeah. if you if you get really dry i don't even want to begin to think of the fires that could happen oh, yeah they're yeah so, and they and they are happening so a uh, bottom line the, here the, we the just past, need, go ahead i'm sorry no the past the past is not a guide to the future the, the good news is that this is you know it's the most solvable hard problem that we have we just have to do it Right. There's this nuclear reactor 93 million miles away from us, a fusion reactor that is blowing way more energy at us than on our best days the entire planet uses from fossil fuels. And if we simply harvested that energy, we could meet all our energy needs. We could stop burning fossil fuels, maybe use a little bit of it to make medication or something. But that, you know, I mean, this is not a, an impractical vision of a new world, is it? No, it is not. And really serious, highly detailed research has come out about it that we can do this, right? It, it's not just a theory. There's a roadmap decade by decade. And not only does it mean um, really, you know, shutting down, bending the curve on, on global warming, but it also means cleaner air, less pollution, um, quieter streets if you have electric vehicles, you know, no soot coming out of tailpipes or smokestacks that, uh, frankly, if, you know, which is causing thousands house, of cancers looks, and millions of asthmas every year. It, it, it's cancer and asthma. It's also just mundane things like the snow turning gray after it snows yeah. uh, or, or cities getting grimy and gritty. There, I think someone from the future, when we're all solar and wind coming back to visit us today would be disgusted yeah. by combustion engines, just like we would hate the stink of horse manure in city streets 150 years ago. Yeah, or walk so, into a saloon where there's spittoons. I <laughs> get it. Exactly. Dr. Ben Strauss, exactly. climatecentral.org. Thank you, Dr. Strauss. Thank you so much. Great talking with you.
going to get into a, an extended rant about this whole uh, Roe v. Wade and Texas and all that kind of stuff in just a few minutes. But first, I wanted to check in with our old buddy Greg Pallast, the investigative journalist, the author of multiple books, his most recent, How Trump Stole 2020. GregPallast.com is his website. Greg underscore Pallast is his Twitter handle. And Greg, I should have known that at some point you were, <laughs> you know, investigating what was going on with the power down in Louisiana. We've got a million or more people now who have no electricity. And it seems to me like this might be a replay of the California thing where you've got a for-profit utility that instead of, you know, expensively burying cables where they wouldn't start wildfires or get blown over by a hurricane, they, put, they left them above ground because it was cheap and they could uh, then shovel that money that they charge ratepayers into their own pockets. So, do I have that right in the uh, thumbnail? You've got it right in the thumbnail. In fact, it was, you might as well say that George Bush had his hand on the switch and turned off. Uh, George W. Bush, with his deregulation of electricity, turned off the lights in Louisiana and Mississippi. I, yes, uh, you know, in 1986, you know, before as an investigative reporter, I had a real job. I was an investigator, and I was hired by the city of New Orleans to find out why their renegade power company named Entergy, its division called New Orleans Public Service, but it's a big part of a giant company called Entergy, why the lights kept going on. This is before Katrina. This is before any of this. Why the lights kept going off and the, and the rates were flying through the roof. And what I concluded for the government was that this company, Entergy, was a racketeering enterprise parading as an electricity company. They were siphoning off hundreds of millions of dollars. The, uh, the state adopted my uh, position or the city that they fined the company over $100 million. I mean, this is but, what Enron was doing back around the same time, right? This was the 80s. Oh, this yeah. was the Reagan era. But, you know, I told them, I said, look, there's only one solution. And the people of the city in a referendum voted for it. The solution is socialism. Get rid of this private company, this, these privateers who are, who've got you by the, by the bulbs and to make it a public system. The public voted for it. And then, you know, they used, you know, their, their good uh, Citizens, Citizens United funding to make sure that, these, uh, that the city of New Orleans never went through with the purchase. Well, then what happened is Katrina and uh, this big power company, Entergy, instead of fixing the system of New Orleans, left the city in the dark for a year because they decided to put their little company of New Orleans, a segment that serves New Orleans, into bankruptcy court. You'll love this. While the parent company was claiming record profits, citing, quote, weather conditions, the weather being Katrina. So they bankrupted their New Orleans company, said, we're not responsible for fixing the system or the damage we did, but our parent company, hey, we're, we're going to pocket the, uh, the money from the uh, extra charges uh, from, uh, from the electricity that we charge a bundle for during Katrina. Yeah. And, then, and then since then, Entergy, same thing. Uh, their parent company has been siphoning off the funds that were supposed to go to hardening this system. I got to tell you, Tom, 2,000 miles of high voltage cable have gone down. Uh, 2,000 miles. I mean, I literally have worked in Pakistan, a place like, you know, you don't see in Bangladesh 2,000 miles of high voltage line go down in the typhoon. You know, but, you know, again, in Louisiana, they aren't victims of Hurricane Ida. They are victims of Entergy, this power company, this renegade power company, which overcharges their subsidiaries and has been, under the guise of deregulation and other trickery, has been basically tiptoeing off with the money meant to keep the lights on. That's what we pay them for. It's a monopoly still, no matter what you call it. And that's what they do. Yeah, it's like PG&E in California. And when Enron exactly. was uh, dissolving... I was yeah. uh, around that time, uh, actually, I think it was a year or so after that, I was doing a local show here. I, I was doing my national show from Portland, but I was also doing a morning show. And we had on the mayor and we had on, you know, for Portland. And Portland was trying yeah. to buy the electric company, this, 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 this city. And, um, and they had the money. Uh, you know, the, the, the company was up for sale. It was, it, you know, it had to be spun off from Enron because Enron was going to prison or getting dissolved or whatever. And it was yeah, uh, going to prison. Yeah, it was X dollars. It was like 1.1 billion or something like that. And uh, the city said, fine, we will give you your asking price. 
and they said, no, we will not sell to a nonprofit. We will not sell to a city. This has to remain in the hands of stockholders who can bleed it dry and screw the rate holders. And so we are still dealing with for-profit companies, power companies here in the Pacific Northwest, because they literally refuse to sell to the city. Is there any... Uh, is there any recourse for the citizens of Louisiana, more generally in New Orleans specifically, to get out from under the thumb of a for-profit uh, parasite like this? Well, I hope that they will once again consider what was done in New York, taking over a bad system. In California, um, you know, the city of San Francisco and San Jose said, we'll buy out the PG&E system here, which is, you know, the arsons are us company. So, yes, so public power has been producing energy safely, reliably, and about one-third less than, than the privateers. But I did find out what happened in Portland by, with my sources within the banking community, which said, look, uh, if this company goes private, the banks that are funding this operation, they'll, be, get, they'll get hosed. And that's what they're worried about. Behind oh, really? it are the banks, which make billions Billions uh, off these, this game, and including. And by the way, let's not forget the, the role of, of uh, one of the reasons. And I always find that when I'm dealing with kind of criminal enterprises, the racketeering work I've done for the Justice Department, it's not just greed. They're usually motivated by panic because they made a wrong investment. And in the case of Entergy, they became, uh, you know, they became a big nuclear power operator, and they had a plan, a plant called Grand Goof in Mississippi, or Grand Gulf, as it was officially called, and they're pouring money down this nuclear hole. And and after nearly you know, basically nearly bankrupting themselves with that, and then trying to steal the money from from the uh, repairs uh, on the power line, they doubled down. They bought Indian Point nuclear plant in New York. That was brilliant. Mm. Um, and uh, they were buying nuclear plants all over the country. So you have George Bush and his deregulation. You have the you know going down the nuclear financial rat hole, and of course just plain old greed and shenanigans of privateers who say, oh, we have a market. Well, I don't know. I got one light switch on each wall, not seven to choose from. It's still a monopoly. And right. we, this is what government regulation is supposed to do, protect us from privateers. Let's not forget that. That regulation is actually um, democracy in action yeah. in the economy. Amen. That's <laughs> why that's why governments are instituted among men, you know, to quote the Constitution, not to be sexist here, but you get it. Anyhow, Greg Palace, uh, gregpalace.com, the website, uh, Greg underscore Palace on Twitter. Uh, you're the best, Greg. Thanks a lot for dropping by. Thanks for the information. You're very welcome. Great you're talking to you. We'll be back in just a moment. I got to talk to you about abortion. We'll pick up your phone calls. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Tom Harbin here with you. So let me just explain what's going on with this, uh, with this law in, in Texas. Up until this point, every attempt to stop women from getting abortions has used the force of criminal law. Criminal law, you, you make something against the law, somebody breaks that law, they go to jail or they suffer huge fines from the government. With criminal law, you can get something that blocks that law, you know, arguing that it's unconstitutional. You can, you can try to overturn that law. You can have, you know, courts stop that law, the enforcement of that law. And there's a whole bunch of ways that you can challenge a criminal law. What Texas did does not involve criminal law at all. To the best of my knowledge, and I'm no, uh, you know, abortion expert here. I'm not, you know, I, 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 I'm in favor of a woman's right to have an abortion in the United States, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, a scholar on the topic. But I believe this is the first time that any state legislature has tried to use civil law instead of criminal law to stop abortions. And, and here's what they're doing. They're, they're, because, see, if the state was trying to stop a woman from having an abortion, and the Supreme Court has ruled that women have a legal and constitutional right to an abortion under the Fourth, Ninth, and Tenth Amendments of the Constitution, the, 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 the so-called right to privacy. If a state interfered with a woman's right to have an abortion, that state would be committing an unconstitutional act and it would go up through the courts and the courts would decide. But the state isn't doing any of that. The state isn't even involving themselves in this. What they're doing is they're saying, um, you guys who are the, the uh, abortion militia, you know, the people who stand outside the abortion clinics with signs and bullhorns and things, we're gonna let you be the enforcers and you can do it in civil court so there is no government hand here and and in fact i mean you know they they threw this to the fifth circuit and the fifth circuit is overseen by sam alito on the u.s supreme court and he scheduled you know a hearing for it on what tuesday of next week i think it is um, but there's just like, you know, nothing's happening basically so far. And so this law went into effect at midnight last night. And what the 14th Amendment says, and again, this is the, you know, the power of a state. It doesn't speak to the power of an individual. It says, you know, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. It's called the Equal Protection Clause. I wrote a book about it called Unequal Protection. It's not the state of Texas that's saying you can't get an abortion. They're saying, go ahead, get an abortion, no problem. We're not going to stop you. We're not going to, you know, hyper-regulate the clinics. We're not going to make it a crime. What we're saying is that if somebody helps you get an abortion, then somebody else can sue the, the helper. It's just a, a, for a, and, and is essentially guaranteed a bounty of $10,000 plus lawyer's fees. So here's how it works. Last night at one of the Planned Parenthood clinics where they were doing abortions right up until midnight, there were a, it was packed. In tech, this was in, I believe it was in San Antonio, Texas. It was packed with women who were trying to get abortions. The anti-abortion people were out in the parking lot taking pictures of license plates. They were taking photographs of people uh, going, entering and leaving the abortion clinic. They were taking pictures, they were, they were uh, looking through the windows and trying to identify the people who were there, both getting abortions and people who worked there. In the expectation that if they continued doing abortions at one minute after midnight and they could identify somebody, then just some, some rant, you know, Ralph, who's standing outside with a camera, takes a picture of, of uh, and, and here's where it gets wild takes a picture of 
uh, you know, Susie, who works at the abortion clinic as a receptionist at one minute after 12, well, she's processing somebody, so she's aiding and abetting abortion. So Ralph files a civil lawsuit against Susie. It's got nothing to do with the state of Texas. He goes to a court and he says, Susie, I'm suing you for $10,000 because you helped Margie get an abortion. And by the way, you have to pay my lawyer's fees and my lawyer charges $10,000 an hour. And then it goes to a, to a court and, you know, gets adjudicated. There's no force of law involved here. There's no force of the state involved here. They simply changed the rules of the game, the civil rules of this civil lawsuit game. Now, you know, it's possible this will get knocked down. It's possible the Supreme Court will stand up, but the Supreme Court didn't, didn't stop it from going into effect. So that is the law in Texas right now. And it's so bizarre that, you know, Ralph, who's outside the abortion clinic trying to identify people, he could sue the Uber driver who dropped Margie off. He aided and abetted her getting an abortion. He could sue, you know, some random person, just some act of kindness. Somebody, you know, uh, walking out of, the, out of the clinic and holds the door for Margie. He could sue them. Or at least in theory. I mean, again, this, this hasn't been tested. We don't know how far it goes, but... He could sue her husband who packed a lunch for her to take with her or who drove her to the... I mean, it's, it's just, there's no limit to this. So now you've got, what's, what's happening is the, the anti-abortion groups have already set up websites where you can put anonymous tips. This is a call to vigilantism, or vigilantism, I think it's pronounced. It's not the state. This is vigilante justice. To the Tom Hartman program. And I'm guessing, by the way, that you're going to see some variation of this happening around the ability to harass people who want to vote next year. in Roxy, Mississippi. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Hey, hey, big fan, big fan. Look, I got a question. I'm, I'm wondering, why is it okay, why is it okay that, that the Republicans can get the phone records of anybody they want to get? Because, you know, Apple just announced, you know, after Trump and them got out of office, Apple announced that, hey, they got, you know, they were able to get the phone records and stuff of the of the uh, Democrats. How come when we want the Republicans' records, we can't get them? Why is that? <laughs> That's a good question. I had forgot about that, Dan. You're absolutely right. Uh, the Trump administration had been subpoenaing phone records of Democrats, and uh, Apple and other companies had turned them over. Um, and uh, but that was to the Justice Department. Uh, you know, you, you make a great point and uh, highlighting the hypocrisy of it. I don't have an answer for you. I mean, you know, it's 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 the politics of it. I do suspect that this select committee is going to try to enforce these subpoenas. I do expect that uh, Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy and the guys who were apparently in on the conspiracy with Donald Trump to apparently assassinate uh, Pelosi and Pence and steal the election that they're going to take this to the Supreme Court. And I think that there's a very good chance that uh, the Supreme Court will back the Trump coup, um, you know, which uh, I, yeah, I, I can't tell you what legal rationale they would use to do that, uh, or they would do it just like they're doing right now with this whole shadow docket thing where they just let stupid laws stand or they, you know, or they strike things down without explanation. Um, but uh, the court has become, uh, you know, it's become an, an, another legislative body. So, you know, I really think that that's where that's going. Thanks a lot for the call, Dan. I'm sorry I don't have any, a quick and easy answer. John in Center Ossipi, New Hampshire. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Tom. In fact, I was going to just talk to you about the abortion issue that Texas had passed regarding, it's not even by the state. It's basically you can have abort, anti-abortion hitmen suing people. Yep. Um, that 
for abortions. You know, the driver that takes somebody to get an abortion, the doctor that provides the abortion, $10,000 plus attorney fees. Right. And, and the Supreme Court had the midnight to, to apply an injunction, and they didn't. That's correct. And, and it, the, the law is so broadly written. It says, you know, anyone who aids or abets a woman in yep. getting an abortion, aids or abets, um, so it, it, it can be sued by any private individual for, for a minimum of $10,000, uh, kind of a guaranteed bounty, plus they get to have their lawyer uh, paid whatever their lawyer decides to charge, you know, 1000 bucks an hour or whatever. And so you could end up, you know, if you simply held the door open at your apartment building as a woman walked through who was on her way to get an abortion, um, I, I'm guessing you, they would have to prove that you knew she was on her way to getting a, an abortion, but maybe not. I mean, you know, if you aid in a bet, it doesn't say consciously aid in a bet. Then and somebody takes a picture of it, somebody identifies you, somebody has some evidence of it, they can go into court and they can sue you for, uh, you know, 10, 000, a minimum of $10,000 plus thousands and thousands of dollars in lawyer's fees. Um, this like a is... It's a racket, like a financial hit. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's astonishing. John, thank you for the call. NOLA in Inglewood, California. NOLA, thank you for waiting so long. What's up? My pleasure. Suppose that President Biden was able to put three new Supreme Court justices slots mm -hmm. on the Supreme Court. Right. What's to stop Mitch McConnell from doing the process of obstructing the candidates? He's no longer the Senate majority leader, so he doesn't control the agenda. That job is held right now by Chuck Schumer. And as long as the Senate is 50-50 and there's a Democrat in the White House and in the vice president's office, we can replace somebody. The question is, if Justice Breyer, who is, I believe, in his early 80s, I think he's 83, if he were to decide to resign, you know, and Joe Biden were to nominate somebody as progressive as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which, uh -huh. by the way, is not even Bernie Sanders progressive. It's, you know, kind of solid, solid left, you know, a good progressive. But if he was to nominate somebody like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I'm guessing that there are some Democrats in the Senate who would who would not go along with it, which is pretty awful to think about. I, I, this is what happened with Merrick Garland. Barack Obama, instead of nominating a genuine progressive, he wanted to get somebody that, Demo that Republicans would vote for, too. So he went to uh, the senator from Utah, Orrin Hatch. Uh, who was then the senator from Utah, the Republican senator from Utah, uh, one of the you know three most senior Republicans in the United States Senate at the time, and said, who is acceptable to you? Name a federal judge who is acceptable to, to the Republican Party. And Orrin Hatch said, Merrick Garland. He's a nice, moderate guy. He's never taken political positions. Nobody knows if he's a Democrat or a Republican, although he was appointed to the federal bench by Bill Clinton, so maybe he's a Democrat, but he seems like our kind of guy. And so, so Obama says, cool, okay, I'll do that. And he took the Republicans at their word. He believed that they were operating in good faith. And they weren't. And they haven't been since the 1980s. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough one when Breyer resigns. And let's hope he, you know, he resigns while the Democrats still control the Senate and there's still a Democrat in the, in the VP's position. Um, because uh, I, I, look at how... We got, how Trump got three people on the court. I am convinced that he threatened uh -huh. Anthony Kennedy by uh, threatening to expose Anthony Kennedy's son, Justin, who loaned over a billion dollars to Donald Trump in ways that were probably illegal and certainly corrupt. That, you know, he made reference, a public reference with, with uh, Kennedy to his son. You know, how's your boy doing? He said that at, a, at an event at the White House. Three weeks later, Kennedy is resigning. Um, you've got Merrick Garland's seat, which was stolen by Mitch McConnell, and thus you've got Neil Gorsuch. And then, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg literally was not in the ground yet when Amy Coney Barrett was pushed through the Senate. Um, you know, a process that, that uh, you know, typically takes a little longer than that, shall we say. And Mitch McConnell blew up the filibuster for all three of them. Um, you know, it's, it's like we have to look at what happened here and say, you know, okay, we can play hardball too. Nola, thank you for the call. It's just mind-boggling what the Republicans have gotten away with. Why, why is, where is the outrage? Right? Where is the media talking about this? Oh, well, if Republicans do it, it's acceptable. If Democrats want to do it, oh, my God, they want to pass a $3 trillion. Oh, we can't.
crazy alert. This multimillionaire actor, who John Schneider is his name, he played in the Dukes of Hazard. You know, the good old Confederate boys with the Confederate flag on the top of uh, on the top of the car and Miss Daisy and all that stuff. He was on Fox and Friends, and as he was uh, making his pitch saying that uh, we don't need Joe Biden and the federal government coming down here to Louisiana, which is where he, he has his, you know, multi-million dollar property. We can take care of ourselves down here. Uh, they showed a picture of the General Lee car from that show with a, with a Confederate flag painted on the top, smashed by a fallen tree. Sometimes you wonder, is God trying to talk to us? <laughs> I don't know. But basically, you know, his real argument was don't raise my taxes, right? It's just very simple. Sadly, from time to time, you can boil these things down. This is another one. You know, three relatively high-profile conservative talk show hosts have now died from COVID. And I've not talked about any of them on the air because, uh, A, I mean, I, I didn't know personally any of these three guys, but I've met them, you know, at the annual talkers convention in, in New York and whatnot. And they work in my industry, and they believed... Uh, what they were saying enough, apparently, to not get vaccinated and then died for it. And I just think that's sad. You know, I think it's a tragedy. I don't revel in their death or their illness. That said, there's this guy. His, his uh, name is Bob Enyart, another right-wing talk show host, who, back when people were dying from AIDS, he's been in the business for a couple of decades, Back when people were dying from AIDS, before we had treatments, he used to read their obituaries on the air over the old Queen song, Another One Bites the Dust. He would gleefully read the obituaries of people who were dying from AIDS on his uh, now defunct TV program, Bob, Bob Enyart Live. Well, he's been on a tear also recently about, uh, you know, these vaccines are tested on fetuses and things, you know, so you shouldn't take them. And so he didn't get vaccinated, and so now he's very, very sick. His wife is very sick. You know, I, I am hoping, I would say praying, you know, it's a, that he recovers. And particularly in the hope that in recovering, he might uh, in some way have a little more compassion for people who, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll stop there. I'm starting to sound like, you know, I'm wagging my finger at, at somebody who's sick, and I don't mean to be doing that. Finally, and this is like crazy alert number three, Will Kane is, he, he's the weekend host for Fox and Friends, and he was on The Five uh, with Geraldo Rivera. And he said, uh, people like me talk about people who are unvaccinated as idiots and or as, you know, cult followers or whatever. And he said, we're veering dangerously close to exterminationist language. Exterminationist, says Rivera. Absolutely, says Kane. That's the next step, putting the unvaccinated into someplace else. Camps, whatever it may be. Which almost provokes me to ask the question on the air, should we be putting unvaccinated people in camps? I mean, don't they represent more of a threat to us than Japanese people in 1944 or 41 or whatever the year was? Obviously, I'm not recommending that we put unvaccinated people in camps. I do think there is something to be said for letting the market take its course, letting businesses say we, you know, some businesses will say, hey, we don't care if you're vaccinated or not. They want that, you know, Republican Patron, God bless him. But put a sign out in front that says, you know, coronavirus lives here. And then other businesses being able to say, no, you can't come in here if you're not vaccinated and you're not willing to prove it to me in a way that I believe. And now we've got Republican governors like Ron DeSantis, who desperately wants to show that he's as much of a sociopath as that psychopath who lives at Mar-a-Lago. You got him out there saying, uh, no, we're going to pass a law saying that businesses can't do that. You can't say that you have to prove vaccine to get into, into this restaurant or this bar or into this, this retail store or this the entertainment venue or theater or cruise ship or whatever it may be. You can't do that. It's like crazy has become something that is just like ripping through the GOP right now. 
and in some ways it's real tragic i mean these these uh, three of my colleagues who are dead and a, and a fourth one who is you know very very ill his wife is begging people his listeners by the way to stop sending him remedies for covid-19 you know people care about people they want to help out but it's like this this contagious mental illness that has been inflicted on us really since the 1980s with the idea that greed is good, the marketplace is everything, the billionaires know best, government should have no role in, in, in improving the quality of people's lives or, or promoting the general welfare. God, we can't, God forbid we even use the phrase welfare. Well, it's three times in the Constitution. It's in the preamble, it's in Article 1, Section 8, and it's someplace else. But no, no, we can't have the general welfare because that would mean my taxes might go up and I'm a billionaire. Joe Biden has uh, kept his promise, by the way, and the, 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 the free trillion dollar deal doesn't raise the taxes on anybody who makes under $400,000 a year. Not a penny. And still, the Republicans are hysterical about it. And, of course, Manchin and Senate. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. It's the place where we ask, is Walmart a person? <laughs> Supreme Court notwithstanding, we say no. <laughs> we'll be back with your calls. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Glenn in New York City. Hey, Glenn, what's on your mind? Hi, concerning this anti-abortion, see, most of them think they're using the Bible. The Bible says nothing about abortion at all. Therefore, we're free to choose. But there is something about a miscarriage in uh, Exodus 21, 22. Right, if, if, you, if you strike a woman and she miscarries, you have to pay her husband a certain amount of money. Yeah, but there's, it's a life for a life for the woman but not a uh, repayment right. for the uh, for the miscarriage. Right. There's also a place, and I, I, you know, it's been a lot of years since I read the Bible, but uh, the, uh, I'm I'm thinking that it, it, well, actually, I'm not sure where it is, but but I, I was thinking um, in Isaiah or Josh or Joshua, but um, you know, where one of the biblical figures is actually praying to God to cause. The, the pregnant women of their enemy to spontaneously abort their babies is praying for abortions. And, yeah, you know, and, and presumably God is listening to that. So, you know, as far as I know, that's basically the only two places in the Bible where, where abortion is referenced. Uh, what they use now is thou shall not kill. Right. And the, the importance of the miscarriage is it shows that it's not a living being yet. It's not a life 
It's not a life form yet. Until it breathes the first breath of oxygen or ether or whatever you want to call it. And then it sparks the life. Right, that's, yes, thus inspiration. I mean, that's, you know, God breathed into Adam's nostrils and boom, he was alive. Yep. Good point, Glenn. Thank you very much. Vincent in Mendocino, California. Hey, Vincent, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I think uh, we need to have someone take the Texas law to the extreme. And by that, I mean... If a Planned Parenthood um, secretary could be sued, why couldn't she then sue everyone who brought the person to the clinic, including uh, if a woman rented a Ford to get to the clinic, you go after Ford Motor Company, you go after the rental agency, you go after... um, the highway department for providing the roads that brought her there. The the you law, make- Vincent, I, I, you know, I, I get where you're going, and, and it's like, let's prove the absurdity mm-hmm. of this by taking it to an absurd extreme. But the law specifically has the phrase AIDS and abets, which means, uh, which has been sliced and diced over the years by legal scholars and courts and judges and, and, and whatnot, uh, to have a fairly clear meaning, which includes knowledge and intent. And so while, you know, theoretically the Uber driver could get nailed when the, when the woman says, take me to the Acme abortion clinic, because uh, now the Uber driver knows where she's going and presumably why, um, the company that made the car can't be nailed. Or if she goes and rents a car and drives it there and they have no idea where she's going to drive it, they can't be nailed. But I, 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 get, I get your logic and I, and I, and I honor it. I, I, I tip my hat to you. But uh, it's not going to work that way. Thomas in Erie, Colorado. Hey, Thomas, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I, uh, I was kind of thinking about this since I first heard it. And would the doctor release the information that a woman was having an abortion? Well, that's a good question. And the, the whole HIPAA law thing, you know, uh, coming into this. Again, nobody knows. I mean, this law is, uh, some are suggesting, rather sloppily drawn. Others are saying it's very, very precise, you know, to, to get around uh, federal review, judicial review. I, I, feel, I think it would have been subject to judicial review, and four out of the nine members of the Supreme Court think it would have been subject to judicial review. But, sure. um, you know, who, uh, right now we don't know. Okay, because if... Say the first pinhead's really going to want to go, you know, go to town on this. Um, so there's a wealthy, say a super wealthy fella that, or I'm sorry, a wealthy woman who, you know, public eye or whatnot, and they go after her, and turns out she's not pregnant. Would there be a defamation suit? I don't know. I mean, this, these, there are, there are so many if, if thens that we just don't know the answers to, Thomas. Um, it's it's going to be a real interesting next couple of uh, months, I would guess. Thomas, thank you for the call. Tara, Tara in, um, in New York City. Hey, Tara, what's up? Yes. Hi, Tom. This is Tara Devlin. I have a show on Progressive Voices, too, so cool. I'm just plugging that in there. Um, so I'm, the reason I'm calling is I, I appreciate everything you're, you're doing and also talking about this issue with abortion. But it drives me crazy that uh, the Democrats really need to message better for example, with abortion, you know, we know that abortion rates go down under Democratic policies. And this is how we have to bring this message to the American people. That's why we're for health and living wages and universal health care, retirement security, education. All of these things reduce the numbers of abortion besides being, you know, uh, good policies in general. Because it's, uh, that, if it's about choice, we, we want, you know, less abortions. And that's why vote Democratic, because when, uh, I mean, th- those are the numbers. The math doesn't lie. When you educate and uh, pr- uh, provide um, contraception and, and uh, um, sex education, family planning, universal health care, all of these things reduce the numbers of abortion. And the Democrats have to own that because we are the party of life and the party of patriotism, too, because that's what it's about. 
yeah. to uh, leave no one behind in that way. Yeah, right? it's, it's well said, Tara. It, it, the problem is one of mixed messaging. Uh, you know, on the one hand, we're saying as Democrats, uh, yeah, we want to reduce the number of abortions. And the way that we're going to do that is by uh, offering, you know, comprehensive sex education in schools, access to birth control, and and right. and lifting people out of poverty, basically. Um, mm -hmm. But but the, that's all predicated by yes, we also want to reduce abortions. I think a much more right. a much more cogent way to message that, if that's the route we're going to take as a party, is to say we want to reduce unwanted pregnancies, which is a completely right. different thing. Um, and, yeah. and by reducing unwanted pregnancies, you're also reducing unwanted and therefore abused children. You're also you right. know, reducing the societal load. This is what Richard Wolf was talking about two hours ago. Um, the, the, the cost of caring for people who grew up unwanted, who grew up abused, who grew up, mm. you know, in, in, in uh, systems that uh, like the foster system that sometimes works wonderfully and, and very often doesn't. And and right. and so. Um, I, I, but I, I get your point, I, and, and I don't disagree with it at all. I, I just think that instead of saying we want to reduce abortions and therefore we're going to do all this stuff, we should say right. we should be messaging it that we want to reduce un unwanted pregnancies. Um, and that because that's right. really the problem. I mean, these women are not exactly. showing up because, hey, I think I'll go get an abortion. That sounds like fun. Exactly. They're, sh they're showing exactly. up because there's a pregnancy that, that is going to screw up their lives. And they, you know, it's a, or is it going to work? Or they are they're at high risk? Or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of rational reasons. Tara, thanks a lot for the call. It's nice to hear from you. And thank you for having me on your show about my new book. I appreciate it. It's great talking with you. Tara Devlin on Progressive Voices. John Day, Oregon. Hey, Lynn, what's on your mind? It says here uh, you've been encouraging people to join the GOP yeah, to take it back. I've been encouraging all my um, non-white friends to join the GOP and take it over, drag it back to its roots, you know, the, 18, the 1800 roots. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's even going to be possible. I, I, I think it's better to encourage people to be taking over the Democratic Party because we've got some problems in our own party. I know, but the odds are, I mean, the ones that have joined... The extreme Trumpists don't want to be in the party when they're surrounded by black people. So, so you're and saying get people of color inside the, Democrat, the Republican Party to offend the extreme Trumpists? And I, it drives them out. Yeah, I, you know, I get it. Uh, I get it. I, I, uh, I just, I'm not sure that it's a, a viable strategy. But uh, I, I like the way you're thinking, Lynn. Keep, keep it up, and and uh, thank you for the call, Don in Pleasant Hill, California. Hey, Don, what's up? Oh, hi there. Another non-viable situation, but I'll, I'll float it out there anyway. This okay. is uh, half-baked. Um, hey, uh, hey, this is how we get to fully baked ideas, is we try a whole bunch of half-baked ones. Well, somehow if we can turn this um, uh, law, the abortion law, uh, towards the uh, sitting Republicans, uh, it sounds like it's a pretty wishy-washy type of law. If you could say... Uh, Representative King uh, had some relationship, or I think has some relationship with this woman who had the, the abortion, basically start suing all of the representatives with this law. Uh, it, it's shaky, I know, because you really do want to have some kind of ground to, to sue them on, but this law may have some kind of opening that you can make things up, it sounds like it. And if you can, just turn it on the representatives. There is a limit on on um, on, on the ability of lawyers to sue in what is typically referred to as a frivolous suit, um, you know, without merit, a case without merit that, that's just being done for mm -hmm. purposes of harassment. And yes. I think that this law, it, I, again, you know, there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences coming out of this thing. And uh, one of them may well be that if it encourages frivolous lawsuits, suddenly you start getting lawyers being slapped down for those frivolous lawsuits or or not. I mean, I, I just you know, it's 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 really hard to predict how this is going to play out other than I believe other than that it's it has 
it has awakened a sleeping giant. Not, not necessarily, it's a terrible cliche, but I think that there's a lot of women who have been, you know, politically active to the, and men as well, by the way, um, who have been politically active in as much as they show up and vote every four years or maybe even every two years. Um, who are suddenly going to start, you know, showing up on message boards and participating in social media and calling their members of Congress and showing up at rallies and, and sending money to, to organizations that are doing good work. Um, I, I, you know, I suspect that this is the beginning. I hope this is the beginning of the end, the last gasp of the anti-abortion movement in this country. We'll see. We'll see. I may be completely wrong. This might be the beginning of the end of legal abortion in the United States. That's certainly how it looks. I hope I'm wrong. Or I hope I'm right. And, and we'll see. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Tom Harbin here with you, uh, Jeff in Portland. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Good morning, Tom. What a show and what a week, eh? Yeah. Um, you know, starting with Hurricane Ida hitting 16 years to the day that Katrina did, um, and, and then going on last night to devastate New York and New Jersey. Um, same week, President Biden ends the longest war in American history, and now Texas, as you've been focusing on, you know, rolling back reproductive rights to pre-1973 uh, before Roe versus Wade. And, you know, all in all, Tom, it's a lot to digest. And I honor the optimism of, of your commentary and, and the Hartman report today. And I think if we can pivot our attention from Bush's endless, needless wars to the real enemies at our doorstep, which would be cl- COVID, climate change, and these anti-democratic forces within our country that want to replace democracy with white male fascism, you know, I think there's hope. But that's the question, Tom. Are we up for the fight? You know, as you wrote and yes, today and as Michelle Goldberg wrote in The New York Times yesterday, you know, the GOP, it's turning its activists into right-wing vigilantes and enforcers. You know, so is the Democratic Party leadership and the base itself, we the people, are we up for this fight? You know, that's the question, I think. And, you know, let's not forget, 55 percent of white women did vote for Trump. So maybe this will be a tipping point um, for that demographic. We'll see. I am hopeful. Uh, You know, I I, I just don't know. But the question of are the Democrats up for the fight? Uh, Nancy Pelosi has come out and said the first piece of legislation coming down September 20th when Congress comes back is going to be this this uh, women's health bill that explicitly legalizes abortion before viability in the United States. Um, you know, that establishes it at law. So we're no longer relying on the Supreme Court. This is the will of Congress on behalf of the American people. Um, then, you know, and it'll almost certainly pass the House. It has over 100 sponsors right now. Um, then it goes to the Senate, and then it's going to get real interesting. So that's, that's probably going to be coming up. Uh, well, it will be coming up in about three weeks. And then there's the anti-democratic forces. And I think you're absolutely right, Jeff. We, we need to be very serious. about. Oh, and, and, and President uh, Biden. Uh, issued a statement today in which he just he just basically said this is just wrong, wrong, wrong. And he's called he's calling for what he referred to as a whole of government approach. In other words, he's asking basically every federal agency that could have anything to do with holding Texas accountable or restraining them from enforcing this law to weigh in on what they might be able to do. So he's looking for out of the box strategies. Again, you know, we're going to see we're going to watch this play out over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, but your points are well taken, Jeff. Thank you. Robert in uh, Wilsonville. Hey, Robert, what's up? Hey, Tom, good to talk to you. Um, I'm a little bit Jewish, and I've been studying this question for a really long time, and it's the question of fascist regimes. I cannot think of a fascist regime in history that did not, that just got, changed their heart and decided they were going to be different. They were either smashed or crumbled. And I'm wondering if I'm wrong in that. If you can think of an example where a fascist regime just changed. No, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure how, I, I don't know enough about the history of Chile and Peru uh, that have both <laughs> flirted with fascism um, to be able to say whether there was or was not basically a revolutionary aspect to overthrowing Pinochet, for example. And, and restoring well, democracy. That, gets us, that presents us with some interesting. Well, actually, actually, there is one. There is one example, Robert. Uh, and that's uh, the Park regime in South Korea, 
And, you know, Park came in and uh, General Park and, and took over South Korea, ruled it with an iron fist. When he took over, the, uh, the GDP of South Korea was the same as that of Kenya. Their principal export was fish and human hair for wigs. Uh, he he, he uh, uh, basically cloned Alexander Hamilton's 11-point plan uh, to turn a country from a backwater into a manufacturing and industrial base. He did that in a decade. This was in the 60s. And then stepped back and said, okay, we're going to have democratic elections. At least I believe that's the case. I could be wrong. I mean, double check it, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. So South Korea, I think, would be the one example. Uh, the only one I, I could kind of, yeah, the only one I could kind of think of too was um, Franco, and that, but that was a situation yeah, where Franco. Kind of I mean, there was a civil war there, so, yeah, and you, and you can't say that it didn't go down. Yep, Robert, thank you for the call, Anita in San Antonio. Hey, Anita, we just have the last minute here. It's yours. What's up? I know. I'll be I'll be really quick. I just want to be clear that this is not about preventing unwanted pregnancies or lowering the amount of abortions. This is about controlling women. Yep. They don't care about preventing abortions. They don't care about preventing unwanted pregnancies. Yep. These are people that just want to control women. And what we need to do, the message should be, this first, it's abortion right now. It's going to be birth control tomorrow. Yep. Yep. And in so, fact, in fact, there was a, uh, let me get this here. Uh, somebody just tweeted, uh, morning after plan B type pills are still available over the counter here in Texas. They are not abortion pills. Uh, they're contraception used to prevent pregnancy. And then somebody else responds going, yeah, now just wait till Greg Abbott declares them illegal and has them removed exactly. from the drugstore shelves. I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely. Anita, nice to hear from you. Thank you so much for the call. And, uh, and thank you for being with us today. Let's all take a deep breath, huh? There's so much going on, you know, from forest fires and floods to, to, to anti-democrat, so much going on, especially over this long weekend. Try to take a pause and, and find some awe in the world, A-W-E, some, some just some, some extraordinary moments. Connect with other people. Let's, let's recharge ourselves, okay? Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.